This is where the victory is won or lost. Most of you have been around long enough to know what the Word of God says about situations. You may not be able to quote the Scripture or tell me where the, the verse and the chapter are, but we, you know enough of the Word of God to know basically whether something's right or wrong or whether God's provided or haven't provided it. But if you found out that once you take a stand for it, there's a battle that starts. And this whole study is about spiritual warfare because every one of us is in a spiritual battle. Just the fact that you're alive and you're a Christian, you've got a spiritual bullseye on your back. The devil does not like you. It's nothing personal. He doesn't hate you, so don't take it personally. It's the Word of God that's in you, and it's what that Word can do in other people's lives that threatens him. So that's what he wants you. He, he couldn't stop you from getting saved, so he wants you to not affect anybody else with the Word of God. So he wants to isolate you. And that's really what the goal of spiritual warfare is. So let's read down through these verses quickly, and then we're going to pick up again with the shield of faith. Verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you be able to stand against the wiles, the tricks, the deceits of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. That's not heaven. That's the spiritual atmosphere around this earth. Therefore, because we're in a war... And these are the parties in the war. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shot or put on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith with which you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now, we're not going to go back through all the pieces again of the armor, but we would talk about basically this. Every one of us is in some kind of spiritual battle. Many Christians are in the battle and don't realize in their battle, which means you've got a good chance of losing the battle. I'm not talking about not going to heaven. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the, the enemy of your soul stopping God, you from fulfilling God's will in your life. You know, you're here for a purpose. God has a calling and a purpose on your life. A pastor and a prophet and evangelist and teacher, they're not the only one who calls on their life. You have a call on your life to do something for God, to be part of something, a piece in something. It's in Ephesians chapter 4, which we spent all last year on, that you are part of the body of Christ, and that part has a function, a purpose. And the, the battle is to get you so that you don't perform that role, that you don't fulfill that purpose, to either by isolating you, intimidating you, distracting you, whatever it may be. That's what the purpose of that warfare is. And we see that there's combatants in this warfare. There's God on the one side and His kingdom, and there's Satan on the other side and His kingdom. And, and they're the only two parties in this warfare. And you are, either, you are either involved on one side of the battle or you're on the other side. There's no such thing as a DMZ zone, no neutral zone where you can take a time out and say, I'm going to sit down and rest because your enemy's not going to rest. He is persistent. But the good news is the Bible tells us greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And so, so we're, those are the body parties of combatant. It tells us what the weapons are. 
It says the weapons of God are powerful. It's the power of God that we are to rest in. We're to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. Those are spiritual strongholds. On the other hand, our enemy's weapons are simply deceit and guiles and trickery, which means he doesn't have power. He has a power in this world, but once you're a Christian, you're taken out of his kingdom, transferred into the dominion of God's Son, and he has no power or authority in that kingdom, but he's still deceitful and tricky. So what he tries to do is trip you up with your own divide, with, with your own with your own mistakes, your own deceits. And, and the primary thing he uses is simply deception. And we've talked about what deception is. Deception is nothing more than having you get all your focus on one issue when in reality he's after something else. Just like a pickpocket bumps up against you, knocks up against you because he's trying to get you to worry about what that's just, you, where you've just been touched when what he's after is your wallet on the other side. A con artist tries to develop a concern for you that he's going to meet, but in reality he's looking after something else. Well, Satan is the father of lies. He's the father of lies. He's the father of deception. And so that's the only device he has. It's just that he's very crafty with it. And so God gives us his word so that when we have an understanding of his word, we don't have to fall into that deception. Instead, we can, accompl- we can overcome the enemy, and that word means to conquer. So that's what we've been studying. So we go into the different parts of the armor. I'm not going to take the time to go through this. But in this verse, it says in verse 16, above all, above all, covering everything, take up the shield of faith. Pick it up. Take it up which means you have to do something with it. Taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now, last week we talked about the the parties in this battle and the weapons. And so in this verse, it's characterizing Satan's weapons as fiery darts. Fiery darts. He doesn't have to get up close to you. In fact, he's a coward. He's afraid to get too close to you. So what he does is he shoots at you from a distance. And we're going to talk a little bit about, again, about what his weapons are. He shoots at you, this verse says, fiery darts. So a dart is something that if it hits you, it sticks. It's a bar, has a barb on it, and it stings and it hurts. But the real danger here is not just that it's a a dart, it's that it's a fiery, it's on fire, it's flaming, so that not only will it stick in you if it gets you, but it will inflame you. And we talked about what some of those darts are. The darts that get at our flesh are things like envy and jealousy and strife. And we looked at scriptures in James last week that saw in James, I think it's chapter 4, that says those are, those are doctrines of demons. And in several other places where his weapon, in, in fact, John Bevere wrote a great book called The Bait of Satan. And it's envy and jealousy. It's a bait. It's a trap to catch us because it it stirs us up. We think the issue is what we're upset about when in reality he's after something else. It's a weapon of his. But he has other weapons that are fiery darts. Discouragement. Uh, and we're going to and we're going to talk about specifically what those weapons are tonight, and 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 where they're aimed at, and what this shield of faith, uh, what this shield of faith will do. So we saw last week. We looked at Romans thirteen fourteen. Don't need to turn there. It says, "But put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust." So the goal of his darts is to get at your flesh. The battle that you go through from the time you're born again is the battle between your spirit and your flesh. 
It's the battle between your spirit and your flesh. Galatians chapter 5 talks about that. It says, if you, if you will walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of your flesh. We've talked about Jesus. When He was filled with the Spirit, the first thing the Spirit does is lead Him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, to be tested by the devil. What was He testing? He was testing His flesh out to learn to be in control of that flesh. Hebrews tells us that Jesus learned obedience by the things that He went through, learned obedience to control that flesh, to keep that flesh under. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, I beat my body to keep it under control, lest having had to preach to others, I myself should be disqualified. That means, little word literally means fail the test. And, and so, so that's where the battle is. And so if that's where the battle is within you, you know where the enemy's going to shoot at. He's going to shoot at your flesh to stir it up, to get it stirred up either by getting it envious or jealous or, 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 or in anger or, 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 or resentful, holding on to something That's what we talked about last time. But there's another area where he tries to get at you. So what we see here in Romans 13, which is consistent with what we've been learning about the armor, the armor of God is just God Himself. It's putting on His characteristics. Say, well, how can I do that? Because what we've learned is, is, hear what it says in verse 14 of Romans 13, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about that Sunday. You can't put on something you don't have. So when he tells you to put it on, that means you have him. Well, where do I have him? He's inside of you. You have his nature on the inside of you. You're a child of God. His nature is in your spirit. It's in, well, how come I'm not experiencing him more? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> how come you're not? Because you're not choosing to. Many people don't choose to because they don't know they can. They think, well, I've just got to live in fear my whole life. It's natural. No, it's not to a Christian. Fear is not natural to a Christian. Because Paul straightened that out with Timothy. He says, God's not given you a spirit of fear. So the spirit God's given you does not have fear in it. That means fear to a Christian comes from the outside. It's not in your nature. So it's a temptation. Fear is a temptation. And 365 times, I've never counted them, but I've read 365 times, the Bible, once for each day, the Bible says, fear not. Well, if God tells us to fear not and we can't help it, that God's being unjust because He's requiring something of us we can't do. So if God says, fear not, that means it's possible, it's possible to go through the rest of your life. I said, it's possible to go through the rest of your life without fear. Fear is one of His great weapons because fear paralyzes. It shrinks the focus of your mind down. It causes your spirit to just kind of dry up on the inside of you. It's hard to hear from the Spirit of God when you're afraid, because fear operates through your flesh and your mind. And it is a weapon of the enemy to paralyze you. So when we put Christ on, we're literally acting like who we are. We're acting like who we are. Satan wants to separate you from Jesus. He can't separate you spiritually, so he wants to separate you in your walk, in your life. So you're out there trying to handle your life, the problems of your life, the issues of life on your own, and then we call on him as a resource to help us. He's training me not to do that. He's training me in every situation to just draw right up into him. 
Because the Bible says over and over again, we're in Him, we've joined Him, we're in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Romans 6 says, this is how you handle sin. Realize you were baptized into Him. That means you were joined to Him. If you were baptized into, his, him, into Christ, then you were baptized into His death, into His burial, and into His resurrection. Because Paul's talking about flirting with sin. He said, why would you flirt with it when you've been joined to Christ who's already died to sin? That whole Romans 6 is a powerful chapter because it says we've got victory over sin. You don't have to sin. You don't have to fear. Say, I didn't know that. Well, you need to read your Bible. (laughs) It's called renewing your mind because most Christians believe fear is natural. Most Christians believe we all have to sin. No, you don't. Now, don't get condemned if you did today. It's a process of maturing and of working your salvation from the inside to the outside of putting Him on. So whatever circumstance you're going through in your life, whatever comes up against you, somebody says something against you, somebody cuts you off in traffic, you lose your job, whatever happens, your first reaction ought to be to join up, crawl up into Him. Pull yourself up into Him because you're joined to Him. And don't look at yourself. Don't look at your circumstances. Don't look at how to handle it. Look at Him. Hebrews 12 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And as you begin to get lost in Him, what you'll find out is He'll take on your issues and wisdom will come. Grace will come because it's coming through Him, not you trying to handle it on your own. And that's what it means to put Christ on and make no... And that's really what the armor of God is. It's putting Him on. John 14, 30. Jesus said, I will no longer, I will not talk with you much longer for the ruler of this world is coming, but He has nothing in me. In other words, when He's come after me, there's none of me sticking out. If He sees me, that's what Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That wasn't just true of his disciples. He was saying that of the devil too. When the devil comes to take a look at me and test me, he's not going to see me because there's none of me there. All he's going to see is the Father. And he's messed with him before. He's nothing of him to get a hold of. In other words, there's none of my flesh sticking out. I'm not concerned about any of my own interests. See, he had all kinds of reasons to be concerned about his own interests. He had a traitor on his staff. He had 11 guys that didn't understand what he was doing. He had one of his disciples, the one with the biggest mouth and the boldest one, was going to deny him three times within the next 24 hours. Not only that, the people that had just cheered him and stood and called Hosanna and welcomed him into the city were about to cry, crucify him. Nobody understood him. I think it's in chapter 16 of John, he turns to his disciples because he's told them he's leaving them and they're all panicked on what it's going to mean to them. And he basically says, you haven't thought about me, have you? But that's okay. My father strengthened me. See, he wasn't relying on the people around him. He was relying on his father. So if people disappoint you, that means you were relying on them. If you get hurt and shaken because people let you down, you were relying on people because God will never let you down. He'll never be shaken. And so when when the time came for Jesus to be tested, there was none of Him there because all of it was lost in His Father. And so that's where we're challenged to grow to. All right. That was what we talked about last week. Now here's what we're going to talk about this week. Isn't it interesting that the subject of faith is part of this armor, 
armor is used for a battle. We're going to be look in a couple of weeks, we're going to look at the offensive weapons. Because there's some offensive. But so far, everything we've looked at here is defensive. It's designed to protect you against blows. You have the belt of truth. You have the helmet of... Well, the helmet of salvation we haven't gotten to yet. You have the breastplate of righteousness. You have the peace on your feet that helps you to stand. And now we have the shield of faith. When we think of faith, especially in the circles that most of us travel in, we think of faith as something God's given to us and something that we can develop and cause to grow and increase that it helps us to receive from God. We see faith as that means by which we receive something God's provided for us. So we see in, he, in, in Ephesians chapter 2 that we're saved. We receive our, the grace of salvation. It's received by faith. We see that, that that's why it says without faith it's impossible to please God. Over and over again it talks about faith being that by which you receive things from God. And we're going to look at a scripture maybe tonight about that also. But here you see faith is not used to receive something from God at all. In fact, it's here to stop you from receiving something, except it's not from God. In this case, it's to stop you receiving something that's come from Satan. Now, how then, how can faith, that's a channel that enables me to receive from God, how can that be a defensive weapon in a spiritual battle? I'm glad you asked that question. I'm so glad you came to ask that question because I have an answer for you. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. In order to do that, turn with me, and you, we know we had to get there eventually, to Hebrews chapter 11. The classic definition of faith, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, this follows a challenge. And you understand this letter was not written in chapters and verses. So when the writer of Hebrews came to the end of what we consider chapter 10, he didn't stop and take a break and say, well, I, I think I'll start chapter 11 tomorrow. And so it's one continuous thought. So he ends by saying, talking about in verse 35 of chapter 10, therefore don't throw away your confidence because it has a great reward. So he's talking about a challenge here. You have need of endurance. Doesn't that sound like a battle? Because after you've done the will of God that you may receive the promise. So here he's talking about receiving something. For yet a little while he who is coming will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. If anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We don't want to be among those, do we? But we are not of those who draw back to destruction, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. Okay. So now he's talking about the just shall live by faith. Now he's going to define faith. 11 verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, I don't want to take the time tonight to get into a a study of, of the Greek, but the order of words in Greek has a significance. And in this case, the first word in the Greek sentence is estin, which is the word is. So we read, now faith is. So in my Bible, it's the third word. But in the Greek language, the words are in order of priority importance. So when the first word in a sentence is the word is, is, or a form of being, that usually means this is defining something. So this, this verse is defining what faith is. And here is how it's defined. Faith is the substance. And some translation says give substance. Faith is the substance 
of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Let's take that apart. Faith is the substance. The word substance here in Greek is the word hypostasis, which literally means to stand under. Sometimes that word is translated confidence. But the root of that word actually comes from a term that was used in medical science where they would take a, a, a fluid and they would let the fluid sit for a while and let it settle. And what would happen is they would find that in this fluid, when they let it sit for a while, there was a sediment that would begin to settle out and settle in the bottom. So that after a day or two days, when they looked at this, it was no longer one clear color that you would have a light color at the top, which was the watery part of it. You would have a middle color that was some other color. And in the bottom, you would now have some kind of settlement that had settled out. You ever open a paint can that hadn't been shaken? You know, painting can that hadn't been shaken? You know, and you open it up and the, 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 the fluid that's the top is almost like water. And then, then as you stir it up, what you find is the thick stuff, the pigment is at the bottom. The substance of the paint is at the bottom. Well, this word hypostasis comes from a Greek word that originally meant that material substance that set, was really in there but settled down to the bottom so you could now see it. But before you let it settle, was that substance in there? Yes, it was. It's just that it was, it was absorbed into the water, into the fluid, and it was because it had been moved around. But when it was allowed to settle, the weight of that substance began to separate out from the lighter part of it. And that particles, that substance that was in there that you couldn't see originally, you can now see because it's been separated out from the fluid itself. Everybody following me? Some of you ahead of me. That's good. Okay. The word hypostasis comes from the word that describes that particles that were in there all along. It's just you couldn't see it. So now let's bring it over to this definition. Faith is the sediment, the particles of things hoped for. It's, the, it's things that really do exist, but that you can't detect them with your senses, your natural senses. Now, let me prove it to you. Keep your finger here and go with me over to to Romans chapter 8. This gets gooder. (laughs) Romans chapter 8. Paul's talking about how we get saved here. We're going to look in... um, He's talking about waiting for the redemption of our bodies. Verse 24... For we were saved in this hope, which is the redemption of our bodies. Have any of your bodies been redeemed yet? Your body's been redeemed? If so, you're out of here. (laughs) No, our spirit's been redeemed, but our body, that's that's what gives you all the trouble. We'll talk about that in a minute. For For we were saved in this hope, which is the redemption of our body. Now look at this. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? 
For if we hope what we do, for if we hope for what we do not see, then we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. In other words, he's saying, if you're hoping for something, that automatically means it's something you haven't seen yet. You don't need to hope there's going to be a blue chair for you to sit in tonight. Because you've seen the blue chair, you've felt the blue chair, your senses are telling you there's a blue chair here for you tonight, so you, didn't have, you don't have to hope for it. Now, you may have had to come here with the hope there'd be one for you. Well, maybe not tonight, but there's coming a day. I'm telling you, there's coming a day when you want to sit in your seat, you're going to have to hope for it. But you're going to need to do more than hope. You're going to need to act. But the point is this. When the Bible talks about hope, right away you know it's something that you haven't seen yet. But it's real. It exists and it's yours, you just haven't seen it yet. Now, when we talk here in this verse and in the next verse, in Romans 8, 11, and then in the next verse we're going to look at, when we talk about seeing, we're not just talking about our eyes. We're talking about anything your five senses can detect, which deals with the material realm. So, so Paul's saying here that when we're hoping for something, that automatically means We can't see it yet. We can't touch it yet. We can't taste it yet. We can't hear it yet. But it does exist because that sediment existed. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Actually, in the Greek, the word things is not there, but it's implied. It's the evidence of things, and that word means things that actually exist. It's the evidence of things that actually exist that are not seen. Now, let's take that apart because it's really saying the same thing. Faith is the substance. The word substance means it's tangible. It gives physical evidence to you that it's real and it exists. This is the time of the year when they'll play the movie... Christmas Carol. Of course, we had, the, we had the, our version of it, Another Chance, but in that we don't have a, a ghost. We have things like Buzz Lightyear and things like that. But, but in the Christmas Carol, and I'm reading the book. I'm reading the actual story. It's very interesting to actually read it. And, and the, the ghost of, of, of Christmas past is described as this being that at one point you can see the legs, at one point you see your hands, but you can't get your hands on He tried to reach out and touch it, and he, he, there's no substance to it. There's no substance to it. So faith is the substance, the tangibility. Substance means it's something, it it, it has a reality to me. So faith is the reality to me of things that I can't see or my senses don't detect. So what faith deals with is there's something that exists but it exists in the spirit realm. It exists in the mind of God. It exists in the heart of God. It exists already, but it doesn't exist in this realm in a form that my senses can detect. And since we live almost all of our time guided by, directed by, determining things by our senses, if we don't see it, touch it, feel it, taste it, or hear it, it doesn't exist in our thinking. But Paul is saying, 
What faith does is faith now becomes the substitute, the things that gives you the same assurance of the things you're hoping for. It's the same substitute for substance as if you could touch it. I can't touch it because it's not in this realm yet. But faith gives me that same confidence, that same assurance as if I could touch it even though I can't right now. Does that help you understand what faith is? Okay. And that's what this definition of faith means. And that applies wherever faith is used in the Bible. All right. Now let's take that, and now let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, because we're talking about warfare. Let's take a brief look at Paul's warfare, the Apostle Paul, who wrote these. Just in case you had a bad day. In case you're inclined to think that you're, you're, you're going through a difficult time and you're struggling, and you may be to you. But this is what Paul had to deal with. Let's start in verse 23. He's, he's, the, the Corinthians, just for a little background here, they had become very proud and arrogant. By the way, this was a church that Paul founded out of pagans. And Paul, they've written a letter to Paul saying you don't need to come back here because we think that you're, we, we think that, 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 that you, you think you have it all together and we're more spiritual than you are because the gifts of the Spirit flow here in abundance. So this letter is written, as I've told you before, to, to correct them. And Paul uses sarcasm in some places, especially in 2 Corinthians. So here he's doing this basically to point out what they've been through for the gospel and what he's been through for the gospel. So he's not bragging, he's correcting them. All right, here we go. Are they? He's talking about people that have, that, that have, that have bragged about who they were. Verse 23, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. Now he's being sarcastic here. So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as if I'm a fool. I am more in laborers abundant, in stripes, that means scourgings, beatings, in stripes above measure, in prison more frequently, in death, that means the threat of death, often, from the Jews alone, five times, I received 40 stripes minus one. In other words, just as Jesus was flogged 39 times, he was five times. That happened to him. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. In fact, if you read the time he was stoned, it was in Derby, and they thought he was dead. He may well have been dead. They left him for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day. I want to take the time to dwell on it, but just think about being out in the middle of the ocean without your boat for a night and a day. A night. And it dawns on you, you may not be alone. And something kind of brushes up against your feet. And your mind begins to wander. It could have been a nice little angelfish or I could be somebody's meal tonight. Three times that happened to him. I've been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, perils in the wilderness. This sounds like 
<laughs> Deuteronomy 28, except the other side of it. In perils in the sea, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, perils among false brethren, in weariness and toll, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold. The fastings weren't always because he determined to, often. Besides these other things comes upon me daily my deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I don't feel that weakness? Who stumbles and I don't burn with indignation? Who, if... If I must boast, I will boast in these things concerning my infirmities. And the God of our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. In the Damascus, the governor of Artis, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes and the garrison, desiring to arrest me, and I had to be let down in a basket out of the window and a wall to escape from his hands. Well, let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're talking about spiritual warfare. Remember, we talked earlier about, he said, he, he cried out to God three times for this. Me- this, was, this is the messenger of Satan. It's not sickness and disease. It's not some eye disease. It's, it's a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him. Can you agree that that was buffeting? <laughs> All right, let's go over to chapter 4, which he discusses earlier, and let's start in verse 7. But we have this treasure, that's the glory of God in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We're hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus. For the life of Jesus... How many want to be an apostle? (laughs) The dying of the Lord Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal body. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And we're going to get... Since we have the same spirit of faith... Now we're talking about faith. We're talking about how? We're talking about the shield of faith. Because these are the fiery darts that were shot at him. And they were... They, yeah, you say, well, they hit him. But the dart was to get him to quit. The dart's not the buffeting. The dart's not the shipwreck. The dart's not the flogging. The dart is the message that followed it, which you're not going to make it. See, the, 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 what Satan is after, above all, is to get you to quit. Just you to give up, say it's useless, it's not gonna, I'm not going to make it, I can't do God any good, I'm a failure, blah, 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 and just get you to just say it's not worth it, I can't make it, I'm not going to make it to the end, and sit down. Because remember what the message is. Having done all to stand, stand in the battle. And so, so the, 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 the fiery darts here are not what happened to him. The fiery darts are the message he got behind these. And this is where Satan fires his other dart, which is unbelief and discouragement. He fires it at your mind to get you to quit. It's never going to happen. You're never going to be healed. You're never going to be victorious. You're never going to overcome that habit. You're never going to be free. You're never this. You're never that. You're never, 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 never. And it's always based on you. You are never. You can't. You're not enough. Unbelief is what kept the children of Israel out of their destiny. Unbelief. Because they didn't stand, because it says in, 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 uh, in Hebrews chapter 4, they, did, they, had this, they heard the same word we heard. But they did you not, not unite it or combine it 
with faith in those that heard it. In other words, they heard the word. They heard what God said, that I've given you this land. But they didn't take his word and combine it with the shield of faith. They didn't apply their faith to that word. And so they were defenseless against the fiery darts of the evil one who spoke through ten of their compatriots and said, we know God said he's giving it to us. But he didn't tell us about the giants. He didn't tell us about the armies that are in there. He didn't tell us about the obstacles. God said it, but. And so the more dangerous weapon in some ways is the weapon of unbelief, the fiery dart of unbelief, the fiery dart of discouragement, the fiery dart that's not fired at your flesh, it's fired at your mind. And here Paul went through all these things and those weren't the fiery darts. The fiery dart, you can see it in the first chapter of 2 Corinthians when he said it's begun to get to him. He despaired even of his life. So this is how this works. Let's keep going. Remember what faith is. Faith takes something God's promised and makes it so real to us that even though we don't see it, it's as real as if we have it in our hands. That's what faith does. Faith stands in that place. Faith stands in that place. Ever, ever go to a cafeteria and, they, uh, and, and you, you, you go down and you, 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 you get your order or you go somewhere and, they, and you get an order and they hand you a little sign with a number on it? Ever been in a restaurant like that? And, and they give you, they give you the, the, the tray and a little sign and you just pay them your twenty three ninety five. And all you got's a plastic sign with the number 22 on it. You can't eat it. You can't even take it home because it's not yours. And you go, and we go and sit down at, our, at the table, and we're just, our mouth's starting to water looking at that number 22 on that sign because, you see, what's happened is, that's faith. We've been given something at that ca- cafeteria that we consider enough of, a subs- enough of, of evidence to us that the meatloaf and gravy and mashed potatoes and green beans or whatever you ordered is coming enough so your mouth's starting to water looking at that plastic number 22. We can do that. But we can't take God's word. We can't take God's word and stand on God's word when our senses are saying, I don't see any mashed potatoes. I don't see any meatloaf. I don't feel that healing. I don't see the money coming. I don't see this job. And I was, I don't see this. I don't hear it. I don't feel it. That's the realm of Satan's weapons. All right. Here's how Paul won those victories. Verse 16, therefore, we do not lose heart. That's what Satan's after. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed, getting stronger day by day. The more he went through this stuff, the stronger he got. I've tasted some of that. I've tasted some of that over this last year or so. And I've come out stronger than when I went through the testing. 
I've come out stronger than when I've come through the testing. I've found I've been, there's a little more of Christ I put on when I've been tested to do just the opposite. Paul says, therefore, I do not lose heart. Even though the outward man is being renewed, is, is being perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed. My inner man, my spirit man, he's of that other realm, is, being, is getting stronger day by day. The devil's got a frustrating job. I don't feel sorry for him, but he works so hard to discourage you and beat you down and get you to want to quit. And you can just get right to the threshold of it, you think. And you come to church or you pick your Bible up or you've got WSTL on or something happens and you hear a scripture or hear a song and all of a sudden something rises up in you. Your spirit man begins to stir up inside of you. See, he's always looking good. And you're getting con- you get conscious again. See, he wants to keep you conscious of your flesh, of your senses. Look at this, verse 17. We just read what this is. For this, the New American Standard, like, for this momentary light affliction. We just read it. He calls it momentary light affliction. Well, it's momentary when you compare that period of time with eternity. See, Paul's not looking at this life. Paul's looking at what he's doing here as earning what he's going to get there, and that's forever. So he calls what he's got to go through here momentary. Light, affliction, is working for us a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. How does he know that? How in the middle of the ocean, bobbing up and down in midnight with fish going in and out of his legs. How does he know that that's earning him a more weighty and substantial form of glory? How does he know that? Not because he can feel it by what he's going through. It's by faith. And here's the answer. Here's the key. Here's how to put, pick up your shield of faith. For a while we do not look at the things that are seen. Let's broaden that out to what it's really saying. While we do not pay attention to what comes at us through our senses. Now, I'm not talking about driving home and staying on the correct side of the road. We're talking about spiritual warfare. Because what the enemy does, what the enemy is after is to get you to quit. So with whatever's going on in your life, whether he started it or you caused it, he's going to take whatever circumstances that are and he's going to talk to you about it. He's going to shoot fiery darts at you that if you let them get into your mind and down into your heart, they're going to discourage you, weaken your faith. But the oh, listen carefully, this is so important. It's like knowing where the back pocket is that the wallet's in that he's after. Look at this. The, the only avenue, I'm going to come down and tell you this. The only avenue that Satan has at you is through one or more of your five senses. The only avenue he has to get at you in the inside is through one or more of your five senses. There's an old saying, and it's so true. It's not what happens to you that determines your future. It's what you think about what happens to you. It's how you interpret. I'll give you a good example. 
and this is not what's going to happen to you, but suppose you go to work one day, a nice Friday, you're expecting a Christmas bonus, and there's something in your envelope, and you get so excited, you know, and you open the envelope, and instead of a check, it's a pink slip. They're letting you go. That is simply a fact. Just a fact that as of such and such a date, your services are no longer to be required there. It's what you think about that fact that determines how you feel and what you do. Suppose you look at that and say, and the next thought is, I've lost my job. How are we going to pay our bills? We're going to lose our house. We're going to be out on the street. And your mind puts all this picture together and now you're reacting to the picture that's been formed in your mind. And none of that has happened yet. That's faith. But it's really fear. Faith and fear are really the same things. Faith, fear, is the substance of things that you don't have yet. And it's the evidence of things you haven't seen. The difference between faith and fear is what you're looking at. The promise that you're thinking. So you get that slip and one reaction is, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my job. Now panic sets in. Now you begin to speak. Other people come around you and begin to agree with you. Now two or more of you in agreement. Pick up your phone, call your wife. She's in agreement with you now. Panic has set in. Your mind begins to shrink down. The person next to you who happens to go to Faith Christian Center gets that same slip, looks at the same fact. As of Monday, your services are no longer, are no longer required. But this person has renewed their mind to the Word. So they see the fact, but they interpret the fact through things God says. God says, God says, I will never, no, never, no, never, three times in the Hebrews 13, leave you forsaken or utterly cast down. And he's talking about money. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I'm a tither. So the Bible says the devourer is rebuked. So therefore, here's how I interpret this. I interpret this is now there's an opportunity that God has given me for a better job. So I go home rejoicing. God, there's an opportunity that's opened up. Same fact. Same event and fact. So what Satan knows and does is you get this event or fact and you open it up. He's over here trying to tell you what this means. Fear always has some message in it about your future. What this is going to mean about your future. And that's the fiery dart. So the way the shield of faith works is what the shield of faith work does is you're up here and he shoots that unbelief at you. This means you're going to lose your job. And instead of you letting it get in your mind and run around in your mind, you take the word of God and you hold that word up. And now what happens is that fiery dart that you're going to fail hits this word. When it hits this word, remember what it does? It extinguishes 
It hits this word which says such things as I will never leave you or forsake you and leave you utterly cast down. It begins to be put out a little bit by the word that then says that, that my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. That begins to be put out. By the time it starts to embed itself in the promises of God, there's no fire left in it. This is where so many of us are. Let's go on. We look not. This is where your training's got to be. Whatever I'm going through, I will not look. I will not determine what's going to happen to me by anything that comes through my senses. If I hear it, I'm not going to base what I believe on what I hear. If I see it, I'm not going to base what I believe on what I see. I've had people come to me with very serious conditions, health-wise. We pray. And they said, yeah, I really, I really believe God's answered that prayer. I, and then they'll call me up in a week and says, oh, pastor, I'm so excited. I had a test come back, and there's good results. And I'll say, great, but listen to this. Be very careful. There's a trap in that. Because the subtle trap I've seen happen is now you begin to put your trust in the report and no longer in God's promise that Jesus bore your sicknesses and carried you. You begin to let go of the promise of God and begin to put your trust now in the doctor's report and it's a snare and a trap. Amen. So I've determined, and this is what you do, no matter what I'm going through, no matter what I'm believing God for, I don't care what I hear. I don't care what I see. I rejoice in the good reports. There's some things we've been believing things for family-wise and otherwise. We're beginning to see some good reports. I rejoice in them, but I don't take my eyes off of this word. Because you see, he can't get around that. He can't shoot arrows through it, and he can't shoot arrows around it. Because if you looked at a picture of the Roman shield, there's a, there's a word buckler and shield. A buckler was a round shield that was held on the arm that was just enough to cover the face like that. But a shield was about four feet high and about three and a half to four, uh, three feet wide, and it, if you could stand behind it. My advice to you is whatever you're going through, is to stand behind this. I'm talking about spiritual warfare now. I'm not talking about driving home. But when you're trusting God for your nasty relatives and you take this word and you begin to do what this word says, you put this word up and you begin to interpret everything through this word. Matthew chapter 14, you see Jesus going through that says he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested or tempted by the devil. And Satan fires three that we know of, three fiery darts at Jesus. And each time, how did Jesus handle the fiery darts? It is written. See, what faith does. See, you've got to be looking at something. You have to have your confidence and trust in something. So what the shield of which faith is, faith gives you substance, something to hold on to, to believe that something God's promised is yours even though you can't see it. 
So when that fiery dart comes at you and says, you're never going to make it, see, it happened again. See, you failed again. See, you, you did that. I, I, I got a hold of you again. Whatever to see, they're never going to change. You know, you just thought things were getting better. And now look what's happened. Now what? Look. Look what's happened. Faith takes God's promise about that situation and says, I believe what God says no matter what I see, no matter what I hear, no matter what I feel, no matter what things look like, no matter what anybody says around me. This is the truth about that situation. And so that's all I'm looking at. Now look at what, if that's all I'm looking at, I'm not looking at these other things. See, Paul, I want you to see what Paul's saying here. He's talking about what you pay attention to. While we look not at the things which are seen, which our senses tell us. In other words, I know my senses are telling me this, but that doesn't move me. I'm not counting on that. I'm not paying attention to that. But instead, we see, you've got to do both of these. You can't just not look at something because you're looking at something. So you choose, I'm not going to pay attention to those fiery darts. They have, I don't care what it looks. And you understand, oh, this is good. We got to end here. This is good. <laughs> back, back in the Old Testament, they, they had, the, their sin broke out with snakes, fiery serpents, all around, poisonous, venomous snakes. And they were being bitten. And as soon as they were bitten, they were dying. And Moses cries out to God and says, what do we do? And God says, here's what you do. Make a a brass model of a snake and put it on a pole and lift it up. Now listen to this. God doesn't say everyone that looks in that won't be bitten. He says, and everyone that's bitten, when they look at it, they'll be healed. So when that fiery dart gets at you and bites you, here's what you do. Because the brass serpent represents Jesus on the cross. It represents his redemption for you. It represents represents the price he's paid for you. It represents the blood of Jesus. And Jesus refers to that in John chapter 13. He says, just as that serpent was lifted up, I will be lifted up. And if I'm lifted up, I'll draw him in unto me. But here's what I want you to see tonight. We will end with this. The battle is what you're looking at. The battle is what you're paying attention to and counting in the spiritual battle. And Satan will bombard your senses. Bombard your senses with evidence that it's not working, that it'll never work, there's something wrong with you. He's a liar. He's not bound by the truth. Never get in an argument with a liar. They're not bound by the truth. You can't win. They'll just change what they say. You're not speaking the same language. So don't get in that realm. Instead, we are to walk by simply what God says. And we'll pick up here next week and we'll finish this idea. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight. We thank you that you've given us clear instructions so that not only will we survive, but we'll be victorious over the enemy. For your word says that you, Jesus, are seated at the right hand of the Father until your enemies has made your footstool. And that's the calling of the church. And we recognize tonight that we are in a spiritual war and that the weapons that you've given to us are powerful and mighty, but, they're ex- but one of those weapons is faith, the shield of faith. 
Thank you, Lord, for teaching us tonight and instructing us of what to look at and what not to look at. Now we ask, I ask you, Father, that we take the things that we've heard tonight and help us to apply them in the circumstances of our own personal individual life. For every one of us is in some kind of battle and the enemy is firing some kind of dart, fiery dart at us. Help us to recognize the dart, but most of all, help us to get our eyes upon a promise that you've made so that whatever's fired at us, it will not ignite us and it will not harm us. Thank you that you love us so much. You have provided protection for us so that not only will we finish our course, but we'll be victorious in the end. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.